Hi and welcome to the podcast. Uh, you are having tea with Alice. I'm in Perth at the moment. I'm in the um, Art Gallery of Western Australia and I'm in a lift because I wanted to find somewhere that was quiet enough to record this intro and that didn't have an echo. So uh, I feel sort of slightly sneaky and hunted at the same time in case someone opens the lift and comes in. But I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been listening. Thank you to everybody who has joined the Patreon. Oh my God, it's so amazing. I can buy tea for all of my guests and I can pay my hosting costs. It's I really, yeah, it's super fantastic. I've just put up a, a post on the Patreon. So if you are a subscriber, go over there. If you're not, I think it's public. Uh, if you click on the link um, on my blog, alicecomedyfraser.tumblr.com. This episode is with Sammy J, who is a wonderful comedian a musician and uh, half of the musical comedy man puppet duo Sammy J and Randy he's the half that's called Sammy J and he's always been a really interesting person I've always seen bits and pieces of him around and thought that's somebody who I would like to talk to so I bumped into him and I said let's do a podcast and he said yes so I went into his change room before his show and uh, we had a really interesting conversation I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it uh, again, if you want to email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com and uh, at alliterative on Twitter is the place to hit me up. Thank you again for listening. You're having tea with Alice. Do you regret any of your choices? <laughs> was, that, was that the seamless segue into suddenly piercing my, or do you mean my specific, my, my law choices or my choices since birth? Uh, both, either, none, whatever. Gosh, well, I um, I was just listening. I always feel slightly on the out when people talk about the real jobs that they've had because I do feel, you know, I guess I feel fortunate that my job has been comedy for as long as I've been doing a job beyond, mm. you know, and, and some of that has been terrible jobs that I haven't enjoyed, but I've done, you know, but I've never had a proper office job where I've had to interact with the same people day in, day out, even if we didn't get on, you know, and so... Um, I sort of, you know, there's a, I mean, that's that's certainly not a regret. It's more an observation because I can see, and I see it in, in or friends or family, the frustration that would create. You know, like the closest I get is when you do a long tour with comedians or whatever, and even that can obviously you all can start to piss each other off, no end. But the idea of just fronting up every day in the same environment, um, I think would improve people immeasurably in terms of their resilience and, and ability to deal with people. So I wonder if I get a bit of a free pass where. You know, if you don't like someone, you can just sort of leave. Well, yeah, or vice versa. You know, they can. Is it just me, or is this room creaking? There's a slight creak. Um, we're here in the Perth Cultural Centre, which has decided today that he wants to have just a slight um sort of death cave vibe with a little yeah. bit of dripping. Yes, I'm thinking it's probably. Maybe it's an air conditioner. Yes. Probably got a bit of an echo going on. Alice walks over to a large partition on wheels and wheels it. Between the offending sound and the interview participants. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, my new resolution was to have better podcast quality. <laughs> I mean, uh, content, yeah, yeah, I mean content-wise uh, and also um, uh, sound quality-wise. I, 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 I intend to make this, with your generous assistance, uh, a great podcast regardless of the dripping or a bad podcast regardless of the dripping but I think your listeners will be I don't know that it is dripping what it's just mm. that the whole building is a bit dissatisfied yeah or there's you know sort of the sound of just someone you know sort of rat tat tatting on the roof 
possum, possibly. Maybe it's someone. When was your? When did you last release your last podcast? Uh, ten days ago. Ten days ago. So maybe someone thought it was weekly and just got really pissed off and has followed you to Perth, and now they're just tap tap tapping, waiting for you to really. Well, release it, this well, podcast. it was weekly, and now it's ten daily. Ah, so you've every done a bit of a serial. Comes thing. out on the eight. Yes. Uh, on the eight of every ten. If you know what I mean. I don't. Mathematics, not my strong suit. Well, you know, like you have eight and then you have 18 and then you have 28. Oh, yeah. And then you have I hear the, that. You don't have the 38th of every month. But you do have the 28th of every month, yes. including February. Oh, uh, just scraping in. Just scraping in. So if that works, I guess. Yeah, you didn't want to just pick a day of the week or make it fortnightly. It seems like you've made, you've made it unnecessarily challenging for yourself to have to... Well, yes, but also why not? Yeah. Like, I'm completely in control, so why not set myself a weirdly counterintuitive schedule? I, I, I that's, I, you have my 100% support, and I, um, I have all people believe very much in setting, you know, stupid challenges for no purpose other than... You're um, doing a, you did that very long show, didn't you, the one that comes back every five years? Well, yes, that's, uh, yes, the 50-year show, so I... I, I would say I'm doing it rather than that I've done it because I've done two of ten performances which will take place over 50 years. started in 2008 and, and it's just one night only during the Melbourne Fringe Festival with sort of a series of ongoing um, re- recurring sketches, you know, the 50-year show and uh, the 50-year joke and the 50-year story and the 50-year crossword and, yeah, lots of comics just get up on stage and, and, and help me sort of continue each one. The second one was a lot more fun than the first because the second one we had all the footage from the first one to show so you had younger... You know, I was singing a duet with myself from five years earlier and stuff like that. So that's probably my specific you know, number one passion project. Yeah, that implies a lot of uh, confidence that you will still enjoy your own idea. Yes. Well. For the foreseeable future. And also that I'll be, you know, still have a career in when I'm 75. So when you say uh, you're an agnostic, what does that mean? Well, there, that is the, um, it means what I want it to mean, is my point. So, so I could equally, uh, you know, this is, this is stuff that your, your listeners may have thought through and will have thought through a lot more than me, so, so you know, they can feel free to skip past this section if they, if they wish. But, but I just really believe that so many of, of the judgments and, 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 uh, and angst or, and, and, Hatred as well comes from from sheer definition. So when someone asks you if you believe in God, if you ask me if I believe in God, and I said yes, well then a lot of people out there would ridicule me straight away because they would throw all their own projections of what God is onto it, and they might assume that I'm some sort of, you know, um, gay hating Bible bashing. You know, uh, however, if you were to substitute the word God for love, as many do and as I do, well, if I asked you if you believe in love, then most people, or a lot of people, would say yes. Mm. And that changes everything, and that's certainly how I approach it in terms of, uh, you know, being very comfortable going to a church service, or, or and obviously, you know, across all faiths as well. But but I've I've found now in my little early thirties that, you know, I went to a school that had church services with an Anglican school that wasn't particularly full on in any way, but it happens to be the tradition that I grew up in: Christmas mm. and Easter and, and all that, and in the complete absence of anything else. Mm. I find some comfort in that, that I can, I can have that there as, as uh, something to tap into with, and very happily throwing all my own interpretations and, and definitions onto it. Mm. Um, and in a strange old way, getting slightly 
or not slightly, getting really over the, the, particularly in the comedy world, just that idea that anyone of faith is instantly stupid, you know, because that's just become such, such a punchline, such a, you know, such an ongoing um, common punchline, you know, that, that anyone who, is, who, who, who dares to, uh, uh, you know, believe that there could be something that we don't understand out there in the universe is, is you know, a fucking idiot and, and a whole room full of people should laugh at them. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I do a whole section about God as love in my show. Ooh, um, I, I did not know this, uh, just so you know. <laughs> is, I'm not trying to uh, either prompt you or steal from you. That's all right. I, um, I do think it can be a very lazy way of thinking, um, particularly for people who are on their way out of a religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it has... It has what do you mean by lazy? What, what part of that? You mean just saying, oh, God is love, so I'm out of here? Or? Well, no, if they're on their, they want to, as people who don't really believe in God anymore but want to pretend that they do to themselves Uh, for the reasons of uh, staying in their community or whatever it is will say something like God is love and and it's a it can be a a cop-out because what kind of love do you mean you have to have a I think for a lot of people a religion is an abdication of responsibility Mm -hmm. for figuring out what they feel about any given thing Um, but yeah I uh when I, when I think, you know, about people who are agnostics, I think that's probably the most sensible position to take insofar as... Um, have you ever... I saw a documentary the other day about sommeliers, wine smellers. Yes. And you listen to them talk about wine, and other than the fact that they're insane, like they learn 3,000 grape varietals and they can tell what year of wine... Was, but you realise that they don't really have, even these most sophisticated smellers in the world, they don't have a vocabulary for smell, except by analogy. Mm. Like they don't, you know, it's fruity or it's, you know, it's apple notes or chamomile like notes. And that's, that's, that's Inuits not, having 3,000 words for snow or something. Yeah, but they don't have that. They have these kind of... Everything's by analogy. Chamomile. There's no chamomile in the actual wine. Mm. They're just, just, just a smell that is like chamomile. And... And all of that, and then you think, well, actually, colours like that. We describe colours. We have a, a slightly better vocabulary for colours, but not much. And then, you know, you have blue, but then you have sky blue and mm-hmm. dark blue, and and all of those things tend to be compared again to other things. And then you think, all of language is like that. All of language is clumsy analogy. You're always using words because you've heard them before in a slightly different context, and think that they will apply to indicate your meaning now. But mm-hmm. it's a very mm-hmm. clumsy thing. Like language is surprisingly clumsy and sort of in, indicative rather than precise. Absolutely, and, and just the, exactly that, and, and words changing within a few years even, you know. Yeah. And, and in our line of work, you get that in terms of punchlines or, or, or jokes or, or phrases that meant nothing a few years ago that, that suddenly these days are a real buzzword or something or have changed meaning completely. Yeah, and then, so that, given all that, the imprecision of our descriptions of our actual senses, including intellectual capacity... And then you go, well, what if there's something that's not, that's tapping into another sense mechanism, our sense that there's something more than us. Mm. But we just don't have the words to describe it or whatever that happens to be. No, yeah. Well, I know it's tricky, this is slightly tangential, but, you know, the one thing that I do know for certain and that I can uh, describe without having to refer to metaphors, you know, is I, I don't believe anyone, and this perhaps pushes me out of the, slightly out of the agnostic realm, I'm not sure, but I don't believe any human has ever had any form of explicit revelation, you know, presented to them in, in their life, any more so than, than you or I have, 
you know, um, so this idea that a few thousand years ago people just got lucky and were in here at the right time and got all the answers, or 10,000 years ago, or, or whichever story you want to follow, I, I, I think every single person has the same challenge of finding out. But I think what I have changed, and I've always sort of believed that fairly firmly, but where I have changed slightly is, is the idea that you can still learn from you know the past and from people's experiences, and so people's experience in trying to grapple with those questions is is relevant, you know, and that that's an advantage that we have that, that other generations haven't. Um, and that's the end of my sentence. It's a good end of a mm. sentence. So you were sort of relatively scornful previously of people who had religion. Yeah. In a, in a sort of a self-identifying way, like I'm one of these people, not one of those people. Oh, very much so. But it's also reading, you know. Just reading, you know, and listening, and, and it's 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 an argument that will always be won if you want to argue against religion, and if you want to argue that you know religion is for fools, and, and historically it's all complete bullshit. Well, that's true in in in, in many many respects, you know, mm-hmm. but but on very other respects, you know, um, looking at it historically and, and so on, I I find a great beauty there as well, because it's a, it's a tradition, and in the absence of that, I, I find this sort of no. This for me, there's just no foothold at all. You know, I'd rather start with that and just be interested in what people believe and have believed, even if it's not something that I share. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of shutting down of argument nowadays because argument becomes identity very easily. People will substitute the argument they make is always, I am this kind of person who believes this kind of thing, rather mm. than actually engaging in a genuine kind of debate where you're like, oh, maybe I'll change my mind about that. Yeah, well, and that's, well, that, that's. To pivot, if, if we may, yeah, uh, that is for me a real personal um, bugbear as well. That idea that people, you know, as you just described, people are, you know, confidence and, and, and ego sort of well up to the point where no one is prepared to publicly acknowledge that they may be wrong and they're unsure about something, even as they're prosecuting an argument. And Q and A on the ABC is the best example of that. You, you'll never see someone changing their mind on that show. You'll see people putting out their own view and well, they don't it. ask you on to change your mind they ask you to represent a viewpoint well, absolutely and and it's you know I, I love the show it does a good job of getting your own thoughts sort of going but you know just in in this day and age the 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 idea that you could change your mind based on facts as facts evolve and as situations change is sort of has become you know particularly politically you know just a a, a terrible thing which I think is absurd you know I was sort of Reserve the right to change my mind as much as I uh, as possible, but there are still things I probably, for pride reasons, wouldn't publicly <laughs> acknowledge as well. So I'm I'm as bad as the next person. What wouldn't you change your mind on? Uh, that I'm an amazing comedian, yeah. <laughs> no matter how many people say. Uh, uh, gosh, well. Do you get abuse? I could can't imagine you do. You're so likable. Oh no, I I I'm not on Twitter as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I don't have a personal Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, any abuse I get is, 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 you know, if I seek it out by way of reading reviews or things like that, and it's always, you know, so, so, so no... A mano, a mano. <laughs> yeah, or just after a show in the cover. No, so, so I, I don't open myself up to it a great deal. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's that sort of bell, I don't know if it's a bell curve or just a straight line, I'm not sure what shape I'm after in my head, but, you know, when you... I keep saying when you, because as a fellow performer, but feel free at any point to say, oh, by the way, Sam I don't agree with any of those generalisations that you... Um, but I certainly, for me, when I started, I, you know, all I wanted was for everyone in the audience to like me. Mm. And this is going back 13 years now. And my personal journey over those 13 years, I've been realising, well, that's, 
absurd. No, I won't ever make everyone like me. I should be doing what I like and what I think I can best deliver. Mm-hmm. And with that comes a great sense of calm. So, so you know, what I may have interpreted as abuse years ago, <laughs> these days I wouldn't at all. I just go, great, that's a different sense of humour. And, you know, someone doesn't like a show of mine, so long as I'm happy with the job that I did, I sort of think, well, well that's fantastic because I'll never come back and then they won't have a bad night in future and I won't have a bad audience member in future. So it's a very Darwinian, you know, relaxing sort of philosophy. Yeah, I find that... Yeah, the thing that I use to comfort myself when people don't enjoy my kind of comedy, which is borderline not comedy comedy, um, <laughs> is I think, well, if everyone is... If no one has an objection to what you're doing, you're oatmeal, which is sort of fine. Yep. But no one really loves you and no one hates you either. It's just sort of bleh. Absolutely. Gelatinous. And, and which, you know, if, if, if that's what you want to do or, or if you want, you know, then that's also absolutely fine but but like you I'm sort of you know like I'm just trying to do things that I would like to watch myself I've always said that and it's become less meaningful now because I, I don't I, I sort of almost have no idea whether I'd enjoy my own stuff now because I'm too far it's been what I do for too long yeah and I don't particularly enjoy watching other comedians because I'll just be I go into work mode I'll be inspired or I'll be jealous or I'll be whatever it is you know but I'll be thinking about myself basically you know um, off the back and, and the, the better they are or the more enjoyable or the closer to what I want to do they are the more into my own head I, I get so I worry that my line that I'm just doing what I find funny is becoming a bit trite and meaningless because I just, I just don't know you know I don't, I don't know if in a parallel universe I attended one of my shows whether I just think I was a total cockhead you know and <laughs> yeah, I don't do the kind of comedy that I like watching. Mm-hmm. So I like, you know, Sean McAuliffe as Milo Kerrigan. I like the Marx yep. Brothers. I like slapstick and dumb, fun things. And that is... I also like sort of Daniel Kitson, Michael Workman and Laura Davis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is more like what I do. Yep. But the kind of comedy that I wish I was more capable of doing is dumb, fun comedy. Just, like, turn your brain off. That's... I, I sort of... I completely agree. In fact, I think you've just proven my point that, that my line is out, out of date because I think yeah. about you know like like Michael McIntyre like I was showing my wife Michael McIntyre clips because I found them so funny he is you know for, as many people know but he's sort of particularly in the comedy world or in Britain he's like the butt of jokes as far as beige vanilla comedy goes yeah. um, and many people also think as I do that's incredibly unfair because he's just because he, he's family friendly and made heaps of money off that <laughs> a lot of people are just angry about that but but yeah, his style of comedy is, is just deceptively simple. It's, it's just old-school stand-up stories, and I watch that and, and just titter, you know, like a, yeah, yeah. in a way that, that you know, I'll, I'll never be like that. And, and, uh, but maybe that is, just as you just um, said that you would like to do more, you know, slapstick sort of thing, but maybe there is that certain aspiration there where I'm actually watching that because that's what I would like to be able to do more of, you know, yeah. rather than relying on my own little toolbox. True, but you also have the virtue of working a lot in a duo, so you get a reflective kind of comedy where you get to yeah. kind of... It's not just thinking your way out of a thinking problem, which is difficult to do. Trying to see your own comedy from outside your head is difficult, but if you have somebody else there, it makes it a little easier. Yes, that's true. Although, to be honest, all, my last little rant was very much about my solo stuff because if I think about Randy and I, then it's a whole... In my head, actually, an entirely different career, you know? Very mm-hmm. different thoughts and challenges and emotions involved yeah because I, n- I never really watch all those feelings I talk about when I'm watching other comedians it's about how I'm doing you know in my solo performances uh-huh. very much so Randy and I have our thing going on and we're pretty bulletproof for that reason because I think we, we give each other all the feedback we need or want and, and we challenge each other as required um, 
and because what we do is sufficiently unique of itself. You know, there's not too much competition in the Skinny Man Purple Puppet musical comedy genre. Um, whereas, you know, on my own, I'm still, you know, out there, you know, trying to write stand up and, and trying to do, you know, and, and, and songs and in more of a crowded field, I guess. So, so it's more important to be working out what I do best. Mm. So, what do you think you do best as well, a solo act? As a solo, well, um, or as a human being, either way, <laughs> I don't mind. The tea is growing on me, and I really thought it was quite appalling early on, but I'm halfway. halfway you were down. very polite about finding it appalling. Oh, no, I told you. I told you, didn't I? You told me you were undecided, up. which is yeah. a lie. Um, no, because I, I, I'm pretty sure I said I'm undecided as to whether I love it or detest it. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> I wasn't too dishonest. That's mm. true. But I'm going back for more. Which is good. I, um, I, I think uh, performance-wise, I, I look, I, I. I I think um, I, I, I think at my best I, I'm actually I won't that wanky thing well, I'm not going to go down the route of describing what you think you do best but I, what I would aspire to do on my own is to, to create a mood and I think that's that's all musical, musical comedy does that obviously sometimes wonderfully sometimes it's the mood it creates is horrible <laughs> but but even aside from music just um, you know I love when you're watching a stand up at work and this is not me maybe and I hope it will be at some point <gasps> We have somebody entering the room. Hello. <gasps> Special guest cameo on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, uh, Nairi Camden. That's alright. You're totally welcome. I'm in your dressing room. Um, can we keep this on? Is, is, yeah, this we is... can keep it on. Nairi, get on here. Have a picture. Um, listeners, this is actually Miss Burlesque Australia, and I'm being serious. And she's stage managing your show this season. And she's stage managing my show this season. And, and what do you think last night of my show, Nari? It was good. Which bits do I, Which bits do I, Should I improve the bit where I literally forgot my lines, my lyrics mid-song, and had to start a song well, again? Well, no. no it, adds, it adds to the comedy value. Okay. I did that really? once when my dad came in, because like, he came in, he doesn't like me swearing, and so I changed a verse, and then I forgot the new verse. Yeah, it's it was it was sheer panic. Uh, uh, I, yeah, it was bad. Well, it makes people feel like they've gotten a little bit more value. They feel part of the show. And well, really yeah, but I didn't. Way. I was like, I went into like flight or fright, and, and and I I didn't. My one overriding thing in my head was these fuckers are not going to know that I learnt, I mucked up my lines. Whatever I do now, I'm not going to give them that because that is too embarrassing. So I just made up this weird monologue and pretended to sob and then started the song again, and it was just weird but wow fake crying I always thought of that as something that they made women do (laughs) on stage that was really genuinely when I started I started with sketch comedy and the number of sketches that ended with girl runs off crying oh my gosh and I got those sketches because I was very good at running (laughs) off crying (laughs) which is what you did each time you read the sketches well now I make my audiences cry so (laughs) beautiful I'm going to go and open up your venue I'll see you soon and get ready for your 7 o'clock show 7 o'clock show how are we doing for time well I I should um Get you some other time then, if you're, you've got to get your head in the game. No, the I've, got, I've got, what is it? It's, look at the time, I've got 20, like like 20 minutes. You can, yeah, 20 yeah. minutes. All right, so where were we at? We were so at we were, your... uh, uh, what, what, I, what I believe I do best. Yes. And I was talking about mood setting. Yes. And, and I'm going to deviate now because I don't think, uh, I, what I aspire to do best. And in, my, in the moments where I think I've nailed it, and there's probably, I can name two or three of them, so it's not many, where, I, where you really feel like you've, you've put forward an interesting idea. Mm. And obviously, this is all in the context of whilst making people laugh, hopefully. But but mm. just as what you do, you, you're putting out an interesting idea that is it some sort of there's a semblance of individuality about it. It, it, it might even be a unique thought, mm. um, certainly to the people who are in the room. 
and that everyone is, is on board enjoying that listening and, and you've put something out there that, that they might take with them. And um, yeah, that's, they're the moments I live for. And in terms, certainly in terms of the, the shows I have in my head that I would like to write and create in, over the coming years, they're the ones that really get me excited, the chance to tell, tell a story and these little moments. And, and just to go right back now to something more basic, you know, when I see a wonderful stand-up walk on stage and they start a joke or a story, it, it's, it's all storytelling. And even if they're talking about walking down the street and seeing something, you know, the best ones within 15, 20 seconds, you're, you've been transported to another time and place and you're imagining it and you're thinking it and it is just words doing that. And I still find that eternally, you know, beautiful and a sort of endless little, little you know, muse that I should chase gleefully until I die. Yeah, well, I think one of the most... Um, for me, one of the most interesting things is how much people will bring themselves along on narrative. So my, my, my show about quitting being a lawyer, on purpose, just to see if it would work, I didn't tell the story at all. I mentioned what happened on my first day, I mentioned something that happened on my first day, I mentioned a couple of conversations I had along the course of the thing, and then I mentioned the process of writing my resignation letter. At no point did I say, I started working at the firm mm-hmm. or I was upset or you know I had been working there for a certain amount of time or even where exactly I worked uh, or any of the names of people any of the jobs that I did nor did I mention that I quit but people went with me for the whole course of that sort of implied narrative and was that all but that was all revealed overtly at the, at the end or, or not even? no it but, was just that people you... people would come up to me after the show and be that was exactly my experience oh wow uh, because I had not said what the experience well I, well, I said what the experience was yep. I hadn't said what had happened yeah, yeah. where I worked or who I worked with or what the job was it I was see just... it was well it was very clever in terms of because that made it instantly common to all didn't it yeah. rather than being an exclusive sort of yeah very specific moments along a timeline mm-hmm. but I never said where they were on the timeline or what the timeline was mm-hmm because people do that. They're so good at, at writing narratives themselves. Yep. Everyone does that constantly with their own life. You know, the fact that you're not just a complete puddle on the floor thinking of the billions of inputs that are coming in from every angle at every moment of the day. The idea that you're the hero of your own day mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. is such a self-delusion <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> uh, that your experience of the day is literally the most important thing in the world. Yep. It's sort of, in, in many ways, completely arbitrary. <laughs> um, so it's, I find that really interesting, how, how much you can take away and still have people walk away feeling really satisfied. Yeah. Like they were told a story and that they went along on a journey and, and that it was re- resolved satisfactorily or not. And the more that you let them and allow them to fill in the blanks, the better. You know, it's those beautiful moments of revelation for an audience, which... which when, 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 you know, it, it, it's a callback or it's a link back from the story, but when they suddenly think they've discovered it themselves, and if you're doing your job well, you've very much manufactured that to occur, you know, but for them to suddenly have that, that uh, yeah, a realisation or something is a beautiful thing. The kind of, yeah, the moment where they feel really smart. Yeah, absolutely. That's the best, because that's the best feeling in the world is the feeling of having an idea, like having something appear in your head, like this beautiful yeah. idea. And if you can give someone else that, you can't, you can't, give someone else that you can only sort of create the environment for that to happen Mm, mm. because they can't have an idea you can't make them have an idea you can just suggest that they have an idea and they have to put the pieces together and if you if you get that wrong as you know i have often then then you 
have simply badly attempted to, to manipulate an audience and yeah. nothing is worse than that. And also it's not a joke, it's just a thing that you say yeah. if they don't make the leap. <clears throat> it's like, um, you know, packet cake mix? Mm-hmm. I know so, it well, I use it. Yeah, well, so when they originally sold packet cake mix, people didn't buy it and they didn't like it and they didn't use it. And they realised that if you just said, add an egg... So you had to get the egg. Because they can do it with egg powder. You just add water yeah. and mix it. You add the egg and you mix it. Then you feel like you own it and it's yours. <laughs> and then packet cake mix, Betty Crocker went like straight off the shelf and became one of the best-selling products of all time. And it was just that change that was the taking the thing away, making it actually slightly more difficult to make, that made people feel like it was their cake. Yeah. And they'd made it and they had pride in it. It was like something special that they'd done. When like you genuinely cannot fuck that up. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't. <laughs> You can't well, you'd do be surprised, that. Alice. <laughs> How many times have you fucked up? A I occasionally day? burn them. Oh well, that's yeah, that's different. That's just not following instructions <laughs> properly. Um, I, I guess burning packet cake mix is the equivalent of someone that just doesn't get a joke. Yep. Even though it's a or really that goes, joke. I saw that coming. Yeah, yeah. Don't try and play me like a fiddle. Oh no! The worst thing I've ever had said was by another comedian, and it was like the comedy equivalent of negging. He came up to me after a show and he said, oh, that joke you do, the canon joke. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's one of my favourite jokes. And he said, yeah, I, I looked that up online to see if anyone else had done it. Mm. I really liked it. And I was like, oh, thanks. And he's like, no one did, so I guess you can have it. What I, on earth? And I was like, why would you say that to me? Like, you're, you're basically saying that that's, that joke is too good for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, that was... I don't know, I... I yeah. Since sort of um, having children and being mercifully allowed to revert to my, you know, sort of quiet homebody self without any, with perfectly good excuses not to go out, yeah. I haven't missed any of that sort of stuff at all in terms of the, the and even in festival environments now, I, I tend to sort of stick to myself a bit just by necessity, you know, um, so I don't miss that, 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 that competition and, and judgment and it's often incredibly positive and, and it's often not but I also think it, it happens earlier in your careers as well and people will chill out as they go but and I also think some people handle it very well and others don't and that's to come right back to the question of abuse and online stuff I'm like I happily accept that I don't think I'll, I would handle lots of abuse very well sent direct to my pocket because I don't think humans were uh, have evolved to be able to handle that you know it's this is like a change in the universe of humans that is only a decade old <laughs> after however many thousands and thousands and thousands of years so so I'm quite uh, quite I quite proudly protect myself from that by not being on, on Twitter and by not trying to seek that stuff out because um yeah but, but for someone to say to your face is a uh, well I guess I have a grudging respect for that yeah. <laughs> but it's also just like well yeah he said it to my face in a way that I didn't realize was an insult until it started burning a little later yeah yeah <laughs> Okay. I was like, that, that's an interesting response to a joke is to look it up to see if somebody else has done it. Mm. And then, you know, it wasn't... Yeah, that was just one of the... It was a very surreal experience. And I remember it. It was years ago, and I remember it very well. Oh, that's yeah, the I nature mean, of, well, like, any kind of insult, I guess. Well, and, and, and criticism in that environment where, where... I mean, you know, some of my darkest, darkest days have <laughs> been on, on the Comedy Festival Roadshow, you know, back, you know, we're talking... Nine, ten years ago now when I was you know but just when I was both so desperate for affirmation so fresh so vulnerable uh, and 
and, and, and so sensitive. It's a, it's, that is a horrible combination, <laughs> combination of things uh, to, to, to carry with you on your first, you know, two-month tour. Oh with, uh, you know, as, as I coming back to the workplace thing, this is the, this is the time working with the same people over and over and, and that horrible perception, you know, and, and in some instances, you know, that I recall very swiftly, you know, the reality of, of being judged and being judged harshly or poorly, you know, to the point where I'd be going on stage at times and in my head, all I was worried about was what, what the comedians were saying about me backstage, <laughs> you know, and that is, that's as low as it gets and it's also as bad as it could get as a performer because your duty is to your audience, not to you. Colleague. Not to people <laughs> at the back, and, and that that is a lesson you know I had learned hard over some time, you know. But but to bring it right back to now, that's how I can sort of happily say I sort of I sort of I'll never say I actually don't give a shit, but I sort of don't give a shit what people think because so long as I'm happy with what I'm doing, then that's well, it's like what you're saying about Michael McIntyre, right? Mm-hmm. Almost the definition of his success is that comedians resent him and yeah. don't like him. <laughs> so is that this like? the more he pleases his audience, the more there are certain people who are going to feel sort of disgust or or aggression yeah. towards him. Uh, half out of jealousy and half out of a sense that it's not real art if it's popular, mm-hmm. which is a very annoying thing. It's a very annoying and relatively new thing, the idea of... Like, that's enlightenment stuff. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and, and also just, the, you know, it, it doesn't. it's almost so obvious it doesn't need to be said out loud, but I will because I like to point out the obvious that these comedians I'm just, I've said I'm having got comedians is I, I am a comedian I've been through all these same emotions and, and, and so I sort of, that, that's the perspective I'm, I'm speaking of but in terms of a performer bagging Michael McIntyre I, I would argue 99 to 100% of them would like to be in his position in terms of commanding his audience maybe not doing his style of comedy but do it, but they'd like to be appreciated for their own you know we, we're all after as big an audience as we can that's why we do festivals and yeah. so it's it's it's, it's um just by, by that very, yeah, for, for me that sort of invalidates so much of that criticism anyway. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, you think about sort of the early, most art in the olden days was commissioned by the church mm-hmm. or was done on a very small scale as in you would be making your bowl and you would make it nice. Like, <laughs> you know, and then the only people who would appreciate it would be your family. But there was no sense from those bowl artists that the church artists were sellouts. Yeah, yeah. Like art was art and if it was good art, it was good art and almost the more awe-inspiring, the more people were moved by it, the better. It wasn't until a lot later that there was this idea that good art was exclusionary or exclusive or mm-hmm. only a certain, like good people could appreciate good art. And that came in like weird moral Victorian ideas of good breeding and good taste and all of that yep. stuff. And it's a, it's a power thing because then you... If you control what is meant to be good, then, then you, you know, I, I feel that now when people talk about the music that they like and, 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 or, and, and bag the music that I like and I, I go all quiet and shy because I don't want to admit that I quite like Coldplay and so on, you, you know, because I feel I'm cool and, and who on earth is... Yeah, only a person the, of crude and uncultured taste could enjoy Coldplay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is a sort of a ridiculous, I think that's a ridiculous thing. Beyonce, undeniably good. Justin oh. Timberlake, undeniably good. Absolutely. Um, uh, uh, Tim Minchin has some wonderful things to say on these matters, but I remember him saying in an interview, uh, uh, you know, art is an offer, you know, that's it. I think he said that. If you, if you don't like the band, just don't listen to the band. You don't have to go on about it. And the energy that, you know, artists such as myself can, ex- can, can waste in, on that sort of, you know, um, hating or being jealous or bagging, you know, versus just... just 
instead ignore all that and, and, and go and write a better song or write a better joke <laughs> instead yeah. that um, um, I think is, is, the, is the best approach try and channel any frustrations you have just channel it into your own work rather than wasting precious precious time on insecurities I feel like I s- sort of smashed a hammer into what we were just discussing in a way and, and it, it went off in that's okay. slightly self-indulgent directions but um how do you feel having two daughters to kind of open a new topic? Um, it feels like I've taken a hammer and smashed an egg of life uh, in different directions. No, I, it feels it was wonderful. I, um, I, I, my sort of set line is, is to friends or whatever who, you know, who ask about parenthood and stuff is that I would never wish it on anyone who didn't want to have children because it is all-consuming. Um, but thankfully, uh, you know, I, I, my wife and I did wish to have children, so we feel very blessed. Do you feel uh, more responsibility to bring them up as good members of society or kind of a desperate urgency to change society so it's good enough for them? <laughs> what a great question. Um, I, I think the former, um, but I, I probably would phrase it simply as, you know, in a more manageable, um, you know, think local sort of way, just uh, to raise them as, as caring, kind, gentle people who have... Who have a, who, you know, I think one of my specific aims is to, is to hope that they'll, that they'll be able to have more resilience than I had at a young age. I feel like I've got there to varying degrees now at age 32, but yeah, I would, I would like them to have a little more confidence um, that it's okay to be yourself, uh, you know. And I, uh, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe by their late teens or even mid-teens, but you know. I think that's one of the good things about the internet Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, for me, growing up, I was you know bullied at school, and going on the internet and realizing there were other people who were like me mm-hmm. was a big deal. I think it's changed the structure of society. You know, if you look at teenagers nowadays, they're much more accepting. They're much more open-minded. Yeah, they're conscious of not being bullies for the most part. They tend to bully one another in more subtle ways, but yeah, uh, yeah, there's a, a genuine sense of of being an outsider or being different is not necessarily a bad thing. Well, I hope. Well, I really hope that's the case. And and yeah, that that, that collective idea that again, this, that we're finding strange little links in this chat because going back to an early comment about the way the world's moving and and uh, whether yeah, whether we're seeing such improvements that now yeah, as you say, bullying. Imagine a world. I don't because uh, I, I go to schools now and then and, and talk and stuff and for me a lot of the time it's just it's the same old stuff in a different you know different generation but imagine a world where it was seen broadly speaking you know amongst teenagers as a bad thing to bully people and that collect there was a collective disapproval of that when it happened versus well, you know well sort of in the opposite direction now there still is this kind of bullying and there's still a lot of unreconstructed thinking and and there's still just dumb young people being dumb young people and exercising power over one another in the ways that are within their capacity that's the way that you mm. figure out your way, place in the world, but they have all these YouTube clips now of bullies getting served right. Yeah. Which is sort of <laughs> horrifying in its own regard. Yep. I don't think there are many bullies that aren't already damaged in some way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there, is, there is a consciousness, I think, that bullying is bad. In the same way as now calling someone a homophobe is an insult in school. Mm. Rather than calling someone a homo. Yes, well, I would hope, but I, I worry that it's still got... Some way to go, but you know, but I mean, that's that's a wonderful progression. But as I, look, I, I think back to one of my big realizations, and you know, 
moments of shame, you know, growing older is because I've always identified as someone who was an outsider. I was bullied, but not nearly as badly as others. Um, but I was also a bully, you know, like I can look back and go, there, there was a pecking order. I was very low on it, but there were some who were below me who I could exercise power. By God, did I exercise power? And it was in my own ways, whether it was, you know, writing songs about them or drawing cartoons, you know, but, but, but if there was some way I could use them to impress the people above me who I was terrified of, I would, and I did. Um, so that, as you, as you just described, that, that, that adolescent urge to sort of, you know, punch down, you know, um, recognising that that is, I think, far more universal and it's, it's all about your capacity to do so. And yeah, one of the interesting things, I think, about the world now is that people don't realise how hard it is to be a good person because we have a relatively easy life now. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to be a good person when you have an easy life. When you're under pressure is when it's hard. Yeah. And not a lot of people are good at it. In fact, I don't think anyone is good at it. I think it's something that, you know, is, is, a, is an automatic defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. You're, you know, if you're being bullied to throw someone else to the wolves, yeah. it's going to be, recruit those survival instincts. And, and, and those things are really instructive and you can learn lessons from them, but people don't necessarily want to think about those. They want to brush them under the carpet or say they were a moment of madness or an aberration. Mm-hmm. And, and it, the reality of the world is that it is, um, it's very hard to know how you're going to behave until things hit the fan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you hope that you, st- I certainly hope I would behave differently now, for example, than 10 years ago and than 10 years before that. Yeah. Because you, you, you feel like you, you get to know yourself better and you get to know not just what you're capable of, but also what's a better sense of what's, right behaviour and what's the wrong behaviour so be it not talking shit about your friends or, or, or to make yourself feel better or, or, or be it standing up for people or stepping in you know when they're you know whatever your own sort of values are but so whilst agreeing with everything you just said I'm, I'm simply sort of you know, offering a little olive leaf of hope as well in, in that I feel like growing older when I am backed into a corner I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. I like to think I'll behave better than I would have in the past I think my fear is that I'm too uh not compliant, but too unwilling to cause a fuss. Mm-hmm. I don't like conflict very much. And one of the things that I admired about my granny, who was a Holocaust survivor, was her complete unwillingness to do anything that anyone wanted her to do ever, which made her almost <laughs> non-functional in day-to-day society, <laughs> but was the thing that kept her yep. going because the Nazis would say, walk that way, and she'd be like, fuck you, I'm going that <laughs> way, and survived you know, again and again and again. But it would just mean that if she was at the bank, she'd walk to the front of the line. And the cashier would say, <laughs> ma'am, you have to go to the back of the line. And she'd say, it'll be quicker for you to deal with me here than it will be to send me back. It'll just be so much quicker. Yeah. And they would deal with her. Like that, <laughs> she was just a, com- she was so embarrassing and so annoying and so frustrating. But all of those things were the things that you need to be when thing like, yeah. when the whole world is buckling down to something that's not a good thing. You're the one who's like, hmm. I'm not into this, and just go the other way. Have you? Sounds from the little I've heard that there's a show about your granny somewhere waiting to be written. Yeah, well, I, I think she's going to feature in the new show a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but I won't. I won't spoil that new show. Um, is is? Are you excited about your new show? The, um, uh, uh, the circus one with Randy. Yes, yes. Randy and I are doing a show called Sammy Jane Randy Land. Um, I am very excited about it, but now is not the right time for, uh, to ask me whether I'm excited because we just did our trial show, so I'm in 
I mean, in the two-week hiatus between our trial show and opening in the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Ah, so you're and so devastated. I'm all, <laughs> so all I care about is what went wrong and the things to fix. But mm. there is much that went right, and there is some very stupid um, visual tricks in it as well. We haven't done a theatrical show like this in about four, four or five years. Um, so it's a full narrative with props and costumes and stuff. So it's it's very stupid, and it's nice to, to feel like we're doing what we do best. Coming back to that, sort of because the last few years, Randy and I have been so focused on our TV series that we finally made last year that, that our live shows have um, I wouldn't say they've suffered but they've been much more sort of reduced in capacity it's just been us singing songs basically whereas the new one is, is getting right back on the old theatre horse and giving it a good flogging well the nice thing about going back to an old horse after five years is that it looks like a new horse yes it certainly does feel fresh and exciting well it will be for your audience as well especially if you've got a new audience who haven't been around for very long yeah we were we hope so. Yeah, we, we hope that anyone who's a, who hasn't seen us in, since those days will have a nice surprise. Go, oh, okay. That's why these people have an audience because last few years we've just been singing stupid songs. <laughs> well, not on Facebook, uh, except as Sammy J and Sam- Randy. Or oh, oh no, so there's a Sammy J, uh, and I'm, I'm fairly active on that. I, I, I also, you know, because I, I like the interaction with the audience. Thing. And, and then Sammy J and Randy, we also have a page. Mm-hmm. And then you have a website. And I have a website. Which is? Which is uh, oh, sammyj.com with a hyphen between Sammy and the J. Up, up, up yeah, hyphen yeah, or yeah, down hyphen? Yeah, up hyphen. It's a dash. An M dash. Look. <laughs> no. I have no, a degree, a you da- know. <laughs> Four degrees. Holy shit. And I don't know what is what. Um, all right. Thank you very much. Uh, look Sammy J and Randy up. They will be in your city almost inevitably. Yes. We'll... Uh, if you are in Australia. Yes. And even if you're not, I mean, send us a request. We'll, all options will be considered. All options will be considered. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for my tea and thank you. Uh, and final, final call on the tea. Detest okay, or enjoy? It's tasting fantastic, but I just saw there's a lot of sludge at the bottom. <laughs> that's right. That's how it should be. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>